Man, the end of 22 kind of sucks. You're like, who really wants to preach about the guy getting up and killing a bunch of pastors? You know, and and that being the, the highlighted thing to end the service after Harry's got all this movement of God going on. So I'm already thinking like, all right, we just cut it and cut it short. You guys get out early. First time ever, you'd be happy. And then, and then the Lord gave me so many distinct little things. I'm not going to keep us long. I really will. This really will be the shortest. Oh, yeah, 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 me. This really will be the shortest. The shortest length of verses we've ever, we've ever covered because, and here's why, so much of what Harry said relates to this chapter. And even last night, a, a, a mother tells me, one of our, our college kids that have gone off, and, and I'm so proud because they're actually looking for a church and investigating and checking things out. You know, when, when parents understand when your kids get to that age and they actually start going to multiple churches to check stuff out, that's a good thing. If they're not church hopping now, they're actually, they're coming back and saying, hey, I don't like this one because... Dot, dot, dot. One of the things they said was this. Every time they speak, I kind of think they're making the verses say what fits them. He said, and back at Brookhaven, we just preach verse by verse. And whatever it says is what it says. And we don't try to manipulate it. And I was like, that, that is so awesome. Because I was going to take this morning and tell you guys a sermon on don't don't kill your pastor. Because it's scriptural and stop killing pastors. And I was like, that'd be a good. Right, Mike? Wouldn't that be a good sermon that churches need to hear? Don't beat up the pastor's. And our world and don't kill them and all that good stuff. And and then Harry says this thing that I noticed, because here's what we really noticed. And you got your notes and I'm kind of bouncing around a little more than normal on them. We got two two kind of groups of people here. We, we've got a, a person and, and, and I'm going to call him dog. And, and I'll tell you why. Short, short run. The first time I ever read this years ago, I missed the E. And I really thought his name was dog for like, I don't know how long. So, so even in my notes, you know, what's up, dog? Dog makes his appearance. And I kept calling him dog because he is a dog, so he deserves that. So, so in that process, we've got him and we've got Saul who are all distracted by the flesh. That, that would relate with some of the things that, that Harry just told us. And then we got David and we got this priest who are willing to care about the commands of God more than the desires of the flesh. Well, from today, I'm going to say that's David. I mean, I'm going to say that's Harry both ways and maybe even some of us. You know, and here's, here's where the Lord told me I'm not going to get to cut it completely off and short. When, when Harry stood up and said, I'll take the blame for what goes on now. Because when you get to this thing, and not, not to jump too, too, too ahead too early, when you get to the end of this thing and David starts taking the blame for what happened, how easy would it have been to blame somebody else, Dog and Saul and, and everything else for, for what's actually going. So, so look at this thing with me. We're going to, we're going to, Fly through it as fast as we can, but still get what God's got for us. All right. So, so don't shoot the messenger, shoot the giver of the message. All right. Here, and I dare you to do that. So, so here's where the whole thing changes. Last week, we were all focused on David. He gets his men. He's in his cave. He's hiding. This week, in the last verses from five or from six all the way to, to the end of, of this chapter is totally back on Saul. And when we look at Saul, we see this. He has personal concerns more important than obedience to God. Now, I'm going to tell you, because when I read this, I was like, Lord, there's not a not as much deep spiritual for, for the believer. Now, now, there's a whole lot of questions if you're acting like Saul and you're acting like dog. But for the believer, there's not a whole lot of uh, deep, deep stuff to, to, to really hit us with. So, so I really wondered. And then it hit me. How, how often is it that we're acting like the Saul and the dog? Rather than the believer of Christ, how often is it we put our personal concerns ahead of the obedience to God? Because that's what he's doing. Even to the point of with dog right here, he uses politics 
and gives it more importance than it should ever have. And here's what I had to write down. And not that I'm against patriotism. Anybody who knows me knows I'm definitely not. But I had to write down, might we even say that patriotism becomes an idol or a use of self-promotion in this section of Scripture? That would be dog. Look at what he says. That would be Saul. Look at what he says. Well, that, David's not even from the same tribe we're from. He's not going to treat you the way, way I treat you. Notice how they try to manipulate and twist everything to make it fit their story. Kind of like what one of our college kids said, unfortunately, a lot of churches are doing. Changing and manipulating to make it fit our need rather than the obedience to God and his need. Church, we're living out exactly what takes place right here. And I don't just mean in Africa where, where Harry's just talking about how evil the, the world is. I'm a little excited because to open a big can of worms, just to get you guys studying scripture. I'm a little excited because I'm already on the edge of like some hype because we sing this song, Noel, just a few minutes ago. I don't even know what Noel means. That probably sounds horrible as a pastor and somebody who sang that song a billion times. Although probably half of you don't either, by the way, you're looking at me, so I'm in good company. But but here's what hit me. The line that talked about light being brought forth in darkness because I'm as I'm studying and I'm getting more excited now, kind of I'm all in, in wish wash on the whole Christmas thing and, and, and December and all. But in my studies, I'm finding out that possibly, and again, I, let me do my step. Y'all know what that step means. Possibly, Mary was conceived in December rather than giving birth in December. And I'm over here like, hoorah. Because to me, like, the woman giving birth is awesome. Don't get me wrong, don't take away from it. The entrance of the Savior to the world for what he's going to become, awesome. But the miracle miracle is when he puts light in a woman in the darkness of the world who's going to be the light of the world, and that happens during the Festival of Lights in, in Scripture. So so there's my my, my, my little study. That'll get all you guys studying, and, and y'all will figure out you know when delivery could have been and all that. But I, I'm learning all that, and I'm going through all that, and then we get to this part right here of, of this chapter. A commitment to God. And here's something no pastor ever will tell people. Your commitment to God, your keeping of God's law, may result in persecution and pain. I'm like, God, this is not a chapter that I want to, to use for December, man. You know, I don't even know when missionary month is, but I think for Brookhaven, it's just going to become December and the end of November because because that's where we've been. Right. So this is a new a new low in Saul's life. And here's what he's really doing. He's striking at God. And notice the way he does this as he strikes at God. And it could be a number of reasons. He could be mad at himself. He could be mad at his friends. He could be mad at people. He could be mad at God's people. He could literally be mad at God. But in this strike at God, what he uses is people to strike at God. So sometimes, church, understand me, when the evilness of the world and the darkness of the world is striking at you, you can rest in a little bit of good cheer knowing they're trying to strike at God. And, that's, and that sounds weird. Like, should I be happy then? Well, we should be happy that somebody's wanting to strike at God. But I'm pretty happy that they feel like they can get at God by striking at me. Does that make sense? Like, they think enough of my relationship with Christ that they know by hurting me, they can actually hurt God. I mean, that's that's pretty deep. That's, that's pretty good stuff right there, right? Okay. So, and here's what I want to ask you before we jump into these verses and fly through 20 verses of Scripture. Have you ever thrown yourself a pity party? See, I didn't think you guys would actually admit to throwing yourself a pity party. I thought it was going to be a real quiet moment, you know, but evidently a lot of you have, or a lot of you just got elbowed by your spouse or your child or your friend or, or whoever else, because this, this is what Saul's doing. The very beginning here, verses 6 through 8, Saul throws himself a pity party. The hiding for David and his men is over, which two things happen right there we know from last week. One, you can't really hide when you got 400 friends hide with you. 
You can hide by yourself really, really well. But when you get 400 and all your family up in the cave, there's not a lot of hiding that's going to be able to be be known. That and we know that it ended last week with a crazy advice from uh, from a prophet telling David it's time for you to go back to where the trouble is. So so that that's where that's where David's going. And, and what is Saul doing here? He's accusing his men of withholding information from him. So picture the scene. You've got this guy, much like what Harry, I think, would have saw. He's sitting under a tree. He's got his spear in his hand is what the scripture says. Now, that's all a picture of just the royalty, his position, his status, who he is, what he's at. But then terrible leadership skills take over because he goes through as he's sitting with his people and he starts accusing them of all these ridiculous conspiracies. Oh, you guys have been out to get me the whole time. You guys are after my kingdom. Even takes it as far as what does he say? My son, Jonathan, was even was even after the throne. I, I think he got mad at Jonathan because Jonathan wasn't after the throne. His daddy was after the throne because Jonathan understood that David was the right one for the throne. So, so notice how everything is changing. And notice anytime Saul's got a spear in his hand, his intention is to hurt somebody. Every time we've read about Saul, if he's got a spear. His intention is to hurt somebody, although he usually misses. So I don't know why everybody is so afraid of Saul. Even today, he misses. He don't do nothing. He gets somebody else to, to do this thing. So he's got a really bad aim. He's not very good. He's paranoid. And when you get paranoid, believer, you don't think clearly. And that's where Saul's at. He's paranoid, so he's not thinking clearly. He's, his, his thoughts are distorted by his hatred. When you start hating somebody, that's why hate is such a thing that we're advised not to do as believers. When you start having hostility or hatred towards somebody, your view gets distorted. Your purpose gets distorted. Your desires Getting distorted, even to the point where notice again, he still won't call David by name. Repeatedly through this section, he calls him son of Jesse. Even when he gets to the priest, what's he call the priest? By his daddy's name, too. You know, now you, you adults in the room can figure out son of a something and, and figure out maybe he's maybe that's the first time that, that that's rolling in. But but he, he will not call these guys by their name. So repeatedly, whoever he's talking to that he doesn't like and got a problem with. He calls him son of, you know, your daddy's name or son of your daddy's name. And, and, and I don't do the list here. So so we get this background information right there. And, and I just said a minute ago that, that Saul's trying to use this manipulation thing because he's ranting and raving that David's not from the same tribe. So he's not going to treat you guys as good as I'm treating you. I had to write in my personal notes, by the way, is Saul really treating anybody that good? You know, it seemed like a weird, a weird motivative factor here. And then I had to write down, you ever notice when somebody knows all about you, you're good and you're bad, if they're against you, they automatically only refer to your bad? You know, you could have did a billion good things for somebody, a billion awesome things in life, yet if they know both of it, they're only going to call you by your trash. Think of the things Saul could have called David and been correct. The man who killed Goliath. The man who killed 200 Philistines. The man who's anointed by God. Or just call him his name, David. I mean, all the things he could have called, yet what does he call him? Son of Jesse. Why? Because it's the most humiliating thing he could call him. Because he's the son of what? We've talked about this before. Shepherds. He's, he's the son of shepherds. He, he's nowhere near the royal and the lineage and the bloodline that he's supposed to be. So self-pity has now gotten him nowhere. Why? Because no one's attracted to self-pity. You ever wonder why when you throw your self-pity party, nobody comes? Nobody is attracted to self-pity. That's just you and alone right there. OK, so so here's what happens. We get to this part His men are are really questioned. We're going to notice how much Saul actually loses today, guys, too. We get this part. And, and now this next little scene, dog comes in. Now, we talked about dog back in chapter 21. We had that one verse, but that one verse described him as real shady. 
We knew like he was going to be bad news. We knew there was something that, that he just, this guy was just no good news coming forth. And here comes trouble in verses nine through 10. And dog sees an opportunity for political rise. Because while the men are against and the men aren't understanding what Saul's wanting, dog says, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to get one up on everybody. This is an opportunity. See, so be careful when you're trying to one up everybody, okay? And he refers to David as a son of Jesse also. So he's already appealing and manipulating Saul to, hey, say, Saul, me and you's on the same page, man. Not everybody else, but so, so you can say dog is a political opportunist. My goodness, if we don't have a lot of those in the world today, correct? Uh, yes, uh, a bunch. So he's taking advantage of the situation. He's self-centered, self-promoting. And when we let self get in the way, guess who has to get out of the way? God. And that's what's going to get these two in a lot of trouble because here's the next scene and here's how this whole thing begins to shift. 11 through 15. Not only is Saul upset, not only is he, is he having this self-pity party and he's got this paranoia thing going that everybody's out to get him, you know, poor, poor, pitiful. I mean, now the accusation and the intimidation takes place. So notice you, you, you get an inward thing of self-pity and then you begin to go outward, outward by accusing and intimidating other people. Notice the progress and how this thing goes. And again, he gets to Imelech, the high priest, and he doesn't even call him by his name. Calls him by his dad's name. He's bullying the high priest. He's trying to intimidate the high priest. But I love it. What's the high priest say back to him? It's just three words. Yes, my Lord. Now, you would think if you know, now remember, now this is an environment. This isn't like our environment. And this environment, the high priest has really ultimate authority. You know, as far as prophets and men of God, like they still, I mean, they're, they're up there. And really you could, you could, you could look at a lot of stuff in that culture and say they're almost above the king within certain, certain respects and certain regards to the culture and the community that they're in. So this guy could have fired back with anything. Yet he keeps his cool. Yes, my Lord. What are you asking? You know, sometimes we would benefit a lot if we would just keep our cool. Huh? That's tough to do. That's real. Real tough to do. But but look at what Saul does. He's now accusing him of conspiring against him and helping David get his food and weapons. Why? Because that's what Dog told him. Now, I love that Dog, I, I noticed two things in this section. Dog actually added to something that we didn't get in the previous verse, the previous chapter. Dog said that he gave him food, he gave him weapons, and he inquired to God about it. So notice, notice, notice that he added that third one. That third one's not actually listed in the chapter. Ahimelech, like the priest, he doesn't even go against that. He says, man, that's nothing new. I've been praying for David for years. I've done this before. This is not like a new idea. I've done nothing different. He said, of course I gave him food and weapons. He's one of your great men. Notice how this, this goes. Now, this, this paranoia that Saul's got going first is, is really funny because now he's making himself the victim. You ever notice those that want to intimidate us and bully us when that doesn't work, they quickly become the victim? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it amazes me because it's like their intimidation didn't work and, and their, their other stuff didn't work. So now they want you to feel sorry for them. Like, Saul, how are we going to feel sorry for you, man? You're out to kill somebody right now. You're out to kill a lot of people. And you're going to actually twist this thing and make it like they're out to get you and play the victim. Do you know anybody who plays the victim card like that? That's, that's kind of where Saul, don't point to anybody sitting beside you. That's, that's just not right and, and loving, right? Amalek's done nothing wrong. But yet this serious accusation, here's why it's so serious. 
from the king, especially this is punishable by death. I mean, this this would be a, a bad, bad thing right here. And this is all because Saul doesn't have all the facts. He's hearing a rumor and running with it. Now, you think of it. See, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes we relate to a lot of the characters in these stories. How often is it we hear just a rumor? Remember, all he's got is information from Dog. Dog is just throwing this thing out there and he's just running with it full throttle. How often is it we hear a rumor? Just a little bit of the information without investigating anything. I mean, wouldn't it have been as a leader? Wouldn't it have been respectful to say, hey, high priest, I, I hear that you did dot, dot, dot. Is this true? And if it is, why? No, he goes straight to the to the worst of it. Proverbs 329. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he's done no harm. There's good advice for a lot of us nowadays, because a lot of us, I think, accuse people and judge people and and intimidate people before we learn all of the facts. Because we're like Saul, we're worried about ourselves more than we're worried about being obedient to God and the, obey, and, the, and the obedience to God's law and God's commands. But but look at what this high priest does. I love this man because because he, he's insane. If you don't understand how scary of a situation he's really in, you really don't cherish for 14 and 15, 14 and 15. This high priest stands up to the king and speaks good about David. And, and it's almost kind of humorous to a moment, because while I see it as him standing up and speaking for he's only speaking the truth. And he's only speaking the truth about what he knows. See, he doesn't even know really that David is on the run. Remember, David lied to him. Remember, we talked about that a couple of chapters ago. That this lie would come back to get some people in trouble because David was was doing things and handling things the wrong way. He stumbled and he, and he made some mistakes. He let fear get the best of him. But this guy right here speaks up for David. Here's what he says. One, he calls David immediately by name. There, there's no son of Jesse. There's no excuses and all this stuff. And, and he boldly begins to speak up a great defense for him. And notice how, how eloquent and powerful this defense is. He'd make a good lawyer today, right? First, he says this, Saul, he's your servant. Who of your servants is more loyal than David? So, so he's your servant. Secondly, he affirms that loyalty to David as, as the king in this process. Thirdly, he reminds Saul that David is the king's son-in-law. Man, he's your family. He, he is your son-in-law. Like, what are, what are you there? Fourth, he says, but Saul, David is the captain of your bodyguard. Like, he's the guy who's there to protect you and defend you. He's not the guy who's trying to harm you and, and get you, Right? And, and then fifth, he points out that David is highly respected in your household. And I just wonder if number five might have been just that thing that broke Saul's last little nerve. Because once again, now David has to feel like he's, I mean, Saul, I'm sorry, has to feel like he's lower than David once again, because David is so respected in Saul's own household. And he knows he's taking a chance as he's protecting the same, but he chooses to be faithful to the Lord because then he speaks up about himself. He said, I didn't do nothing I hadn't already done. You know, uh, I'm Saul's servant. I'm your servant just as well. Uh, I didn't really know about this whole affair. Really, my whole family is innocent that you are so against. Now, you got to love it because Proverbs also tells us this. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, I watched Harry just tell you all about some disgusting things. That's the best word I can put for it that takes place over there with young ladies. And every single one of you, you got uncomfortable in your seat, you, you squirmed a little bit, you might have made some of those Ugh, noises or you know, gasp or, or, or whatever. What are we doing about it? Rather than get emotionally involved. See, he's right. Emotions play a big part. But if emotions is all we got, we've missed it. 
Because emotions should be fueled by action and action should then reverse and fuel the emotion. It should just be a tornado of stuff that begins to take place in the life of a believer. We get on fire and get passionate about the things of God. Now, I know really I'm preaching to the choir to a lot of people because so many of our people have gotten whatever they've been passionate about and are using it. I mean, we got Doors of Freedom. We got the Pregnancy Center. We got homeless things. We got multiple in Africa. We've got stuff in Puerto Rico. I mean, we found people in this small group of believers that have gotten on fire about their calling from God and are using it. But we've also got some in the church who haven't. We've also got some in the church who, who don't have a clue what their passion really is. And if they do have a clue what their passion is, they're not using it at all. So which one are we? We should get on fire is what Proverbs said about speaking up for the poor and the needy. We should be the ones doing this. I've said it before, man. Not any other group, not any other organization. The church, the body of Christ is called to do this kind of stuff. So so he risked his life speaking up for David. He risked his life speaking up for himself. He finishes his defense. And now it's Saul's turn. Saul can say, man, you know what? You Again, I love how many opportunities Saul gets to be made right. He's got a moment right here we could say, him like you're you're so right, man. I was blinded by my my anger and my rage and my self pity and, and, and my paranoia and, and all that stuff was was distracting me. But what does he do? Who's going to kill all of them? He he now has moved. Watch this: inward self pity, outward intimidation, and now he's moved what I'm calling upward because now he's wanting to strike out at God and God's people. So so that this progress. We get to verses 16 and 17, and Saul orders the guards to kill the priests. And thankfully for some, and, and notice he calls them in verse 17. I don't want you to miss this, and, and, and thinking that Saul is innocent, and he doesn't understand. He calls them the priest of the Lord. He knows exactly who he's going after. This is this is, I mean, this is this is the lowest of the low for Saul, guys. Right? He knows they're God's chosen representatives. He knows, and I think Satan knows. We talk about Satan using stuff. I mean, I, I want to go into this a little more. I think he knows. What were the priests really responsible for? Some of the things. One big word that, that Harry actually used, another one that was highlighted that made God say you can't stop yet. Worship. Right? So if you kill all those that are responsible for leading worship, what might you have the opportunity to eliminate? Worship. So, so think about that now. Look at what Satan is really wanting to do. And he's put this, this seed into Saul's head. If you kill them all, worship will cease. We won't, they won't be able to give God what God desires. And, and things can really begin to, to work for me, right? And for some strange reason, Scripture doesn't even tell us why, the guards refuse to obey this order. No way, man. And, and here, here's why, even though it's not listed word for word, because the fear of God is greater than the fear of Saul. Thank God. They, the, what they really remind me of is the book of Acts chapter 5, where Peter and his apostles in the book of Acts were told, hey, you guys got to quit using Jesus' name so much and, and downplay that. And they quote back verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. Man, if we could get some believers who just understood that sentence right there, the difference that could happen. We must obey God rather than man. They're risking their own lives, but they're putting God first and refusing to give in to fear. What are you so afraid of that has allowed you to take God off his throne at number one and put him down to number two? Which one? What is the thing that you fear so much that you've allowed it to take God from number one and scoot him down and put that item, that worry, that doubt, that concern ahead of God? Because that's what we do, and that's exactly what these people chose not to do, despite the fact that Saul and Dog 
really were. Saul and dog. That's, that's a, it's good. 18 and 19. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. 18 and 19. Saul turns the dog and dog says, I'll take care of it. And he kills the priest. Scripture says that he killed 85 priests that day. 85. Now I had some other numbers I want to share. I mean, this is a total massacre, guys. So again, don't kill your pastor. It's right there written in the scripture. But, but here's the thing. We think, man, that was a long time ago. The ni- early 1900s, there was a, there was a movement in Russia where they killed 2,900 priests, 6,000 nuns, and seven, or between 1,000 and 2,000, I don't have the number of them, I wrote down, of um, those that were working in the church at different elevated positions. So we think this is like something new. Notice this. Now, some of them are very corrupt, so I hate to even make you think we made defending them. But notice how many pastors you've seen in the spotlight for breaking the law within the last five years that you had never saw before. Now, some of them are corrupt, dirty, and they need to get the crap beat out of them. Okay, for for just manipulating God and, and, and manipulating the representation of God. But some of them, I believe, may just be innocent and the, and the world may just be trying to get them. Okay, some of them, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Some of them that are taking a stand for certain things in Scripture, they're going to be the ones that get ridiculed the most in the public eye and, and, and manipulated the most in the public eye. Why? Because they want to destroy the church. And how do you destroy the church? With the leadership first. With the leadership first, let's just be blunt and honest. If a a local pastor cheats on his wife, how fast you going to hear about it? It'll be on Facebook before you get home. And if it ain't on Facebook, it'll be on Twitter or or whatever the other crap is that that y'all are using. Okay? Now, I'm being honest. One of you guys cheat on your spouse. How long will it be before it's up there? It'll be up there, but it won't be nearly as fast. Why? Because Satan knows that if he can destroy it at the leadership, it can dwindle down to the rest. I'm telling you, that's why I, I, I literally put up safeguards, you know, on, on just any area. Because he ain't going to get me. There's no woman's in my office upstairs with the door not wide open unless somebody's in there with me. Okay, there ain't no counseling one-on-one. You know, just, just I mean, you know, and if it is, we right there in the middle of the fellowship, I'll say, everybody going to see us. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just got to do it. You got to do it. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're willing to get trapped, unfortunately. And I hate that, but we live in in darkness and we live in evil. And when we do, we've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make the light continue to go, okay? Bad part is here, not only after 85 priests, Doag doesn't even stop there. He then says that he goes into the town and he kills all the men, the women, the children, the infants, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. Now, I'm reading that, and I'm like, God, even if that's what took place, why would you want that to be recorded for us to look at? One, it's real. The Bible records historical events that take place. Two, evil. We need to know that just because evil's happening doesn't mean that God's not bigger and God can't use. But, but here's the other thing. What was Samuel word for word commanded to do in 1 Samuel 15? I know that's probably been months ago since we are slow as we can get it getting through the book of Samuel. So I'll remind you, he was commanded to kill your enemy, to kill every person in the town, to eliminate all their cattle, all their donkeys and all their sheep. And what did he choose not to do? That he chose not to follow the law of God. So here we have a man who refused to kill the enemies of God because he just thought he could use it to his own benefit. 
But yet now when it's time to kill God's people, he's okay eliminating everything and everyone. Do you see how evil Saul has now gotten, guys? Do you see what happens when you when you choose not to obey God with one thing? How easy it is to fall into the trap of totally dismantling his obedience with something else later. Zechariah 2.8 says something really special that you guys ought to feel bad about or good about. Good about. I meant to share this with you when I saw him a minute ago. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. That's cool, huh? That's cool. I mean, that really is. Why there's so much bad there, there's some good things to, to, to look at. Meaning this, that, that when, when Satan tries to attack you, he's trying to attack God. Right? When evil's trying to get you, if you were God's. Now, now notice that. I, I, I'm make that, because I, I got a problem with believers that take certain verses and, and they try to tell an unbeliever, oh, God is using this for your benefit. No, he's not if he's not God's. I mean, there's no need, God, God, not God's, God's apostrophe S. Okay, none of you are God's, right? But, but, but there's no need in telling somebody, man, you're going through this because God's going to use it to better you if they're not his. If they're not his, he's not bettering them. And it's not for his purpose and his will, okay? Let's just call it what it is. Stop taking a, uh, the first half of the verse in Scripture. Oh, that sounds really good. We could put it on a card. We could tattoo it on our foreheads, and we could share that with people. Let's make sure we got the end of it, Okay? Kind of like when everybody wants to use Philippians 4.13 about just being so strong that you can pick up weight. Ain't got nothing to do with weights. It's got to do with handling your attitude while you're depressed and withdrawn from everything. Okay? Let's call it what it is. <laughs> All right? All right. Man, that was way off. And that took an extra two minutes. So I only got one to go, right? The other thing this is, and I'm not going to go back and read it, but you guys check it out. First Samuel 2. Sorry, that's been a really long time ago. 31 through 32. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Don't forget that back when Eli and his family in the back in the days where Samuel was still the, the prophet, he was commanded that none of your people will get old. Remember this and, and the line will go on. So, so you got that fulfillment of prophecy and keep in mind this. Why I say that this was not how God wanted to do it. Cause y'all, y'all hear me say it was fulfillment of prophecy and then you'll see what it takes place. Oh, so God wanted them to kill all the priests and everybody. No, 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 no. Just because it was prophesied does not excuse the unrighteousness of actions that Saul and Dog were taking place doing. No different than the fact of Jesus' death on the cross, even though it was prophesied, doesn't excuse the actions of those that crucified Christ. Now, does that make sense? We understand that? It just means that God can use evil, not that God ordains and wants evil. We, we on board with that and understand. Okay, we'll make sure. Last part right here. So, and we mentioned this. David lied to Abimelech back in chapter 21. That's kind of what got here. We were told we were coming here. So what does David do? 20 through 23, the very last section. He accepts it. He accepts it like Harry looked at you guys and said, you know what? It's on me that we've allowed so many things to corrupt the school system and other things. And he's not lying if we're if we're being honest, guys. I'm not pointing the finger because my generation didn't do anything to change it. But let's be honest. The generation right before me, which is a lot of you in the room, your generation is what did it. Now, and I'm not saying you specifically did, but to not do something is the same as to allow something to happen. Now, I'm why my generation is, yeah, we're ahead of them for once. No, because we didn't do nothing to fix the problem. And when there's a problem, you don't fix the problem. You're just as guilty, too. So if you're one of the other generations under us that's thinking, oh, we can just blame them. No, no, you can't, because now you got to fix the problem that we created and allowed to continue to go on. And if you get on board fixing the problem maybe early enough, maybe the previous generations that screwed everything up can help you some. There's an idea and a thought.
Huh? Maybe there's some that's already wanting to. But as Harry said, their feet hurt, their knees hurt, their back hurt. Too much to do stuff, right? David accepts full responsibility on this thing. Guys, think about what he could have said in 20 through 23. Oh, that dog is evil. I can't believe he did it. Oh, that Saul. He's been so evil. Think about how he could get his army going now. Guys, did you see what they just did? Let's suit up and get ready to kick some butt. What does he do? He looks at, look at 20 through 23. I don't, I don't want to skip over it. Y'all can fire me. It's fine. However, one of the sons runs to, runs to David and says, I made it. So we're going to come back to that in just a minute because that's pretty important too. Then David said to him, I knew that dog the Edomite was there that day. Talking about the day that, that he was in the, in, in the priest's house getting the, the sword. Remember he got the sword and he got the food and then he ran away. I knew that he was there and I knew that he'd be sure to report to Saul because he was an evil jerk and I didn't like him. I myself am responsible. That part may be added. I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. No blaming. No, no pushing the, the, the blame to somebody else. I myself am responsible for exactly what happened to your father's family. Now, I love that just one escaped. Because what did we, what did we briefly say a minute ago? The priest, one of their roles was worship. You could cut out all them. You could eliminate some of the worship. God lets one escape to keep this thing going, to preserve the priestly line. And David realizes it. You're going to stay with me for now. When I am your caretaker, I am your defender. You, I am responsible for you. He's assuming responsibility for, for the, for this guy, right? So, so look at the contrast with Saul and David here. Saul responsible for killing all the priests. David accepts the blame. Saul destroys the priests. David protects the priests. Saul forfeits the counsel of the priests all through his life. We should have talked about that a minute, many times, right? David gains another priestly advisor for the rest of his life. And then you got Proverbs 28 that says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. I think some of us aren't getting the mercy that we, we desire because we're not willing to accept the things we don't want to accept, but need to accept. David recognizes that he was, he was wrong. And he accepts full responsibility. He writes about this thing in Psalm 52. Notice there's a psalm that goes with everything. In the book of Samuel. So you really got to do more reading than just these chapters. Go back and read Psalm 52 this week. Check, check it out. Check out his, his trust and his confidence in God in verse five, when he says, God shall likewise destroy you forever. Talking to God, uh, talking to dog. You know, you think it, well, well, he should go get it himself. No, he, he's got full confidence in how God's going to handle stuff. He don't have to take it into his own hands because he knows that God's got it. See, some of y'all want to assume uh, responsibility and stuff. You ain't supposed to have responsibility for it. And that's why, they, that's why it gets worse. Follow David's here. David, David has full confidence. Verse, uh, 52, Psalm 52, verse 5. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away. He shall pluck you out of the dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Yeah. Right? David shows how his focus never changes when, when he gets out of his hiding place. Remember, big hiding, big change in the cave. Big change in the cave. He made some mistakes and now he owns them. Eight and nine. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it in the presence of your saints. I will wait on your name for it is good. This is David's journal right after 85 priests in an entire town gets eliminated. Can you imagine the things he could have been writing? But his focus was on God. 
Church, if we could keep our focus on God and his sovereignty. Not again, not that he creates evil and wants evil, but his sovereignty that he can use everything, everything for him. Everything. And maybe this is just another lesson when we when we look at this thing with 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 this priest that he gets to rescue. And you shall be with me and I shall keep you safe. There is as much as we don't like it. There is nothing we can do about certain things that have already happened in life. That's that's just the fact that we ain't got no time machines. Not that we openly know about it at least yet. I mean, so, so, so there's certain things that have happened that we can't do anything about. That's where David's at. David couldn't do anything about the priests that were already murdered. He couldn't. He may have wanted to. He may have got mad. He may have went and chopped somebody in the throat. He may have ruined his testimony. But instead, what does he do? He confesses his guilt. He sought after God's forgiveness. And now he sees a need in front of him and he ministers to it. Some of us are missing the thing that we're supposed to be ministering to that's right in front of us because we're so worried about going back to something that we were never supposed to go back to. Think about that. There's nothing he can do about what's happened, guys. Nothing he can do to change it. He's got a need right in front of him that's supposed to be ministered to, and here's the opportunity to solve it. you got somebody with a broken life. There's nothing you can do to go back to the jerks that made your life broken, to the situations that made your life broken, but you've got that person in front of you. So you do everything you can for that person and better their future. That's the part that God has allowed you to minister to. He kept this one priest alive so that he could keep the priesthood alive, so he could keep the worship alive, and so that David would now have something to minister to right in front of him yet again. And look at how, look at how Saul's life changes as we wrap this thing up. When you want to strike at God and you want to let self-pity and, and intimidation and all those things get in the way, look at what all Saul lost. He's in great foolishness. He's self-defeating. He's cut off from his own men. He's now losing the final, the final leg of his own people, guys. He threw a self-pity party, and it wasn't just him. It was Dog that showed up, and that was it. So, so two. That, that's it. All the rest of them are like, "Look, man, you've crossed way too many lines. We, we, ain't, we ain't going that that far, right?" He cuts himself off from the priest, so he's got no biblical guidance anymore. That, that was supposed to be it, right? He cuts himself off from God. So now this is why I say this is his final, this is his final straw of evil right here, right? And when you and I choose to sin, we do some of the same things because we're declaring our independence from God rather than our following and obedience to God. We need to, we need to follow David here instead of dog and, and just realize, man, it is time for us to confess our sins, to own them and then get on with it. Get on with whatever the next thing that God's got for us. To, to recognize this morning that, that God loves worship, and that's something we owe him. To recognize that, that the terrible depth of our sins that, that is what put Christ on the cross. Recognize the foolishness of it, and, and get on with resolving it. You know, what was that last part you say? What, 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 what you going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, what are we really going to do with the time that God has allowed us to minister to people? Are we going to just blame? Oh, they put themselves there. Oh, I can't believe all the, the badness that came my way that, that allowed this to happen. Or are we going to say, you know what? Enough is enough. And it's about time I stand up like this priest. Despite the, the consequence that he's, he's about to face. And it's about time I stand up like David. And we rally the troops to stand against evil that's all around us. That we acknowledge the fact of, of whether, and I don't care which way you go, to be honest with you guys, okay? 
I think you should celebrate Jesus' birthday, whether you do it in September or you do it in December. All right. So if y'all want to end that debate, end that debate right now with that. Okay. But wouldn't it be cool if we could get on board with acknowledging the fact of, of either, I don't care which way, either he was born or he was conceived in December. That's something we all ought to be celebrating. Am I right? That's something we all ought to be super excited about. I'm telling you, I may be more excited now than I was with the traditional view of that, because to me, that that miracle of conception, that's what started it all right there. Because if it wasn't that, he could have never been who, who, who he was going to be in the New Testament with the, to die for our sins. All right. So understand the significance and important there. Check that stuff out. I did go 10 minutes longer than I said I would, but that was pretty darn good for 20 something verses. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we're excited about your word. God, I thank you for Harry's testimony, Lord God, what you did in Africa. And God, I love how you took crazy verses this morning and applied them to the whole situation. God, I pray right now, Lord God, that that why maybe I went too fast, God, forgive me for that. Lord, I pray that you use exactly what you wanted to use from this morning to impact your children the way you want us to be impacted. God, let us swallow our pride, Lord God, and accept responsibility for the things we've done wrong. God, let us swallow our fears and our paranoias and our self-pity and all the things that we've been using to manipulate the world around us. And let's stop playing the victim, Lord God, and let's acknowledge you, Lord God, as the main character of our lives. Lord, help us to be obedient in following you and help us to quit being distracted by self. God, we love you. I pray, Lord God, that you use everything this morning to bring you glory and no one else. In your great name we pray. Amen.